He's an eight-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier, a two-time Bassmaster winner, hot off a second-place finish in the Progressive Bassmaster Angler of the Year standings. This week, Brandon Lester joins us on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all to the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Um, it is hump day, happy hump day. Hope you're having a good week, you're halfway through it. If it's not going well, hopefully this show helps uh, cheer you up and uh, send you in that direction. I thank each and every one of you for tuning in every single week. It's hard to believe. I know a few weeks ago I was freaking out because, I guess a couple of months ago, I was freaking out because we hit 100,000 subscribers. We are currently at 148,000 subscribers. We are on the cusp of 150,000 people committing to this show and subscribing to this channel. And while that may not matter to other people on earth, it matters to me. And all I got to say is thank you. Thank you all for the incredible support that this channel gets week after week. Keep the grow going. How you do that is liking our videos and subscribing. So thank you all for already subscribing. If you're new to this, Get down there, hit that subscribe button. The bell button is supposed to give you an alarm and let you know when our episodes come out. But you are a loyal viewer and you know this episode of Mercer comes out every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Putting a little hump back in your hump day. Hope you're having a good week. If you're not, this is the first great decision you made tuning into this. Not because of me, but because of our guest. Um incredible career he has going on the elite series not just the elite series i always introduce him as the always lethal brandon lester because if you look at him in the opens elite series if there was like an angler of the year title that combined both of those i believe he's got a few over the last few years i mean it doesn't matter whether it's opens elite he just seems to always be in the mix and uh had his best season ever this year two wins this past year Finished second place in our Progressive Bassmaster Angler of the Year points. And when an angler gets within 16 points of what many anglers believe is the most coveted title in professional bass fishing, the Bassmaster Angler of the Year title, you would think they'd be down in the dumps. You'd think they'd be down now. But that also, you wouldn't be thinking about Brandon Lester because, like, he'll tell you openly, this was the best year he had. And it's not just... Fishing. I mean, when you think of Brandon Lester, what stands out to me is he is a very content and at peace with himself being the person that he is, being the angler that he is. And it seems like the more content and more at peace he is with himself, the more lethal he becomes on the Bassmaster Elite Series. He truly is somebody, you know, when you look down the dock, there's a lot of people that have accomplished a lot of things. But when you look at somebody and you say, hey, man, that dude is winning and i hate that term because charlie sheen kind of ruined it for people but he is winning in life and he really is and um enough about my thoughts on him without any further let's bring him in right now the always lethal brandon lester brandon lester let's bring the world in we've been having a great conversation but uh, i have a bad habit of not hitting record right away and um this podcast would probably do a lot better but how are you I'm doing good, man. Just enjoying a little time off with the family and doing real good. How does the end of this season 
feel for you? I mean, the end of the season in general, like, first of all, how does the end of the season generally feel for you? Like when you get done that last event, it feels like we're all rushing to get done. You know, I can't wait till we get the pressure of these events being done. And then you're done. And you're like, wait a second. I miss that pressure of the events. I agree 100%. I, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, Kim and the girls flew up and they were there at, at lacrosse for that last tournament. And man, I got home and I was like, you know, the elite season's done, been a long season, the ALY chase, that was a, a nail biter, you know, and I got home and I'm coming down off of, off of all of that, you know, and then it, it wasn't two or three days later. And I'm like, dang, I, I need a tournament to go fish. You know, I, I'm still going to fish that last Southern open at Hartwell, but like you get in this routine and you're, you're feeding off of that stuff. And especially this year, because the year was going so good. I'm almost like, what do I do with myself? You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Give it time. Sponsors will fill in all of those requests. You'll be stuck <laughs> talking to people on zoom phones like this. Um, was this season different for you? More so than I guess I imagine just because it's been going so good. It, you know, if it's a rough season, I'm sure you, it, but you haven't had very many rough seasons to be honest, but I'm sure a rough season's easier to walk away from than one where like, dude, tell the you weighed in the biggest bag of the tournament on the final day way, and you made the top ten. I mean, if it wasn't for that other dude named Brandon, I mean, you did everything you could do. I did, I did, and it definitely was harder. I think this season, I hated to see it end, honestly, because I just had such good forward momentum going. I was making such good decisions on the water, and I hope I can carry that over you know, in the next season. And I, I certainly think I can, uh, at least I hope I can, but um, I don't know. There, there's something weird there, man, where certain seasons, it just seems like it clicks with certain guys. We saw it last year with fighter. We saw it this year with Paul. Like I had a great season and it's weird because everybody on the elite series is a great angler. You don't make it to the elite series by mistake, but it's funny how guys will get in grooves and call it momentum, call it whatever you want to call it, but it was a special season for sure. What does momentum feel like for the, like, you know, we talk about it a lot on live in different places, but for the angler, when the momentum is going, you're right. Do you feel that or what does it feel like to you? It just feels like the, the best way to describe it is every decision you make is the right one. And if you do make one that's not necessarily right, things have been going so well, you know, if you just keep your head down and keep the train on the tracks, it's going to come together before the day's over. Uh, a perfect example, I think, is, is Brandon Polnick on day two yeah. at the cross. He could have very easily lost AOI that day but he kept grinding because that's that's the kind of guy he is. That's why he's so good, and he pulled it out. And he, I mean, every day is important, but he won Angler of the Year that, that day for sure with one fish. Yeah, that, that one fish yeah. that got that the final half hour. That If that tournament just yeah. ends a half hour earlier, right. I mean, he doesn't make the cut. You win Angler of the Year, you know, it, it – and that's all. That's what I hate about Angler of the Year. It's one of my least favorite things. I mean, I know it's the anglers are like, it's the most coveted. It's, you know, it's a full season and I get all that. But I'm also like, your season was an Angler of the Year season. Like, I, I think that it's, any, I say that every year about the top three in Angler. Your top three, four for Angler of the Year. If you look at how close those points are, I think like at the end of it, what was it? 16 points you guys were apart. Mm -hmm. 
So 16 points is over a nine event season. You know, it's a little more than one point per event. That's what costs you an angler of the yeah. year. Um, why do you play such a freaking evil sport, dude? Like, really, when you think about it, I mean, uh, that's that's a tough world to compete in, I would think. Like, to, to know is. that, you know, like, when you get that close, do you worry that that even 16 points will be stuck in your head, like, forever? You know what I mean? Thinking that, like, how it's literally one point in an event or just over. Yeah, here's the deal, man. I mean, you can sit here and you can look back over the year. I lost this fish. I lost that fish. Uh, there, there was one fish in particular that I have not talked about much at all. Uh, I, I had to throw back a nine pounder at the St. John's River because that fish that I, it's actually, you can see it on my YouTube channel. Um, and at the time I didn't know that fish was going to cost me anger of the year, but. That one fish, the third day, I caught a nine-pounder in it. The fish, the rules say the fish has to be hooked inside the mouth. And the fish was hooked inside the mouth. But the freakiest thing I've ever seen, this fish sucked the bait up through its gills instead of going through the mouth. The line was entering through the fish's gills, but it was hooked inside the mouth. So I called Lisa and she told me I had to release the fish. And that was the right call. I don't regret that at all. I don't, I'm not, um, I'm not questioning her decision at all. And I think the guy that won, that should have won angler of the year, won angler of the year. But if I keep that fish, I make the top 10 and I win angler of the year. So, you know, it, you can go back and you can look at all that stuff, this and that. But when it comes down to it, dude, it was a great season. I have no regrets. And hopefully I've got a long career ahead of me and hopefully I'll, I'll get me an angler of the year one of these days. I don't think anybody argues about that. I mean, I feel like, I feel like if one thing, and weirdly enough, like you look at your career, dude, you've literally had one subpar season where you didn't make the classic. Your career has been really incredibly, you know, if you look at the amount of people that fished as, as short a time as you fished, you know, which seems like a long time in your life, but I'm sure when you look back, you'd be like, yeah, that wasn't that deep into my career. Um, how have you been so consistent? Like, have you always been that kind of angler that, that avoids the bomb? Like, cause that seems to be your career. Like you don't even up till this year was your first two wins, but before that you, I mean, you very rarely finish out of a check cut. Yeah, even going back to, like, my club fishing days around here, I was kind of known as the guy that would 12 or 13 pounds you to death. You know, <laughs> I've, I've just always been – I guess I've always uh, been a guy that just likes to get bites, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to to get to a point where I'm learning how to – I think incorporate that along with winning tournaments because there's, there's a big difference there. If you look at guys that swing for the fences more, they probably have more tournament wins than I do, but they also probably have more bombs than I do. So there's a, there's a fine line there, but I, I've always been the kind of guy that if I have a place where I can go catch 12 pounds in the first 20 minutes of the day, I'm probably going to go do it. I don't care if I'm in Lake Falcon, you know, or I just, uh, and, and it, a lot of it, I think has to do with the part of the country I've come from as well. Like I, 
you know, if you look at this Tennessee, Alabama area, there's a lot of good fishermen that come from this area. And it's because we have a very diverse, a, a lot of opportunities here. I can go fish a Highland Reservoir 45 minutes from my house that's largemouth, smallmouth, deep, clear rock. I can go an hour and 15 minutes to Gunnersville. I can fish grass. I can fish ledges. So, you know, I try to be good at a lot of different things. Uh, and I think versatility kind of breeds consistency in fishing. What was your growing up like? I mean, when did you start fishing tournaments? Like, do you do, do you have that fish? Like a lot of people have a fish where they're like, man, when I caught that fish and I was in my diapers and I was three years old, <laughs> I knew one day. Do you have a memory like that where you're like, man, I need to figure out a way to do this forever? I honestly, Dave, and this is the honest to goodness truth. I can't remember my life without fishing. I can't pinpoint it to one particular fish, but I can't remember my life without fishing. Like my grandfather's fished, my dad fished. And listen, I didn't necessarily grow up just bass fishing and I don't necessarily just bass fish now. I do a lot of crappie fishing in the fall. Uh, you know, sometimes me and my buddies will go cat fishing. I, I just love the sport, everything about it. I love saltwater fishing. Um, yeah, so growing up, I, I did a ton of different kinds of fishing and that's where the learn, the, um, you know, that, that's where the, the passion came from and, you know, growing up watching guys like Bill Dance, Hank Parker, Roland Mark, Orlando Wilson, you know, Jimmy Houston, I started understanding, Hey, these guys make their living fishing. I got to figure out how to do that. So what, what age were you when you remember thinking that the first time? Probably maybe 10, 9, 10, literally in, in elementary school, you know, third, fourth grade, they start asking you, what are you going to be when you grow up? I told them without any shadow of a doubt, professional bass fisherman. And I had no idea, you know, what, what that meant back then. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. I mean, that, that was always the plan. Isn't it messed up that we live in a world where I'm sure, and I, I know I put up with it every time because the same with me, dude, like grade five, that's, I run into people that I went to school with in grade five and they're like, you're doing exactly what you said you were going to yeah. do, right? Like it's the coolest, but isn't it weird that we live in a world where there could have been a kid sitting right beside you that said, I want to be an astronaut. And they'll be like, great, little Johnny, you go be an astronaut. And then you tell them, I want to be a pro angler. And they're like, stop being such an idiot, you dreamer. <laughs> Yeah, I got that a lot, and I'm sure you did too. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I probably got it more being in Canada than Tennessee. I mean, there's a lot more, lot more people that fish around you. Um, so, but it didn't. You didn't fish right out of school, right? You you worked. You had factory job. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, short version of of kind of my story. I started fishing tournaments around here when I was 16. Uh, fished a lot of club events and stuff. Went to college at UT Chattanooga, fished on the fishing team there. Um, got out of college, came back home and went to work. Uh, started fishing the Bassmaster Opens in 2012. Um, was my first year fishing the Opens. And that first year fishing the Opens, I did okay. I finished like 24th in points or something. Uh, and all the while I was working in a factory here in my hometown, uh, uh, injection molding plastics factory. I ran the receiving dock there. Um, so the second year I fished the Bassmaster Opens 2013, I won the points championship that year in the Southern Opens 
and qualified for the Elite Series in 2014. So that's it in a nutshell. Uh, it's been a heck of a ride, that's for sure. Did you ever go through, with such early success, did you ever go through the stage of uh, maybe I can't do this, or was that never even an option for you? To be honest, that that second year that I signed up for the Opens, I was 23 years old. I was kind of at that point in my life where I was like, it's it's either put up or shut up. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with, with the rest of my life. You know, and I would like to think that I, if I if I didn't make it that year, that I would have kept on trying, but I'm not positive that I would. Maybe I would have found something else to do. And, you know, you, you never know where life would take you. But uh, I was I was very blessed and fortunate that I did qualify for the elites in, in 2014. And, and here I am, you know. Yeah, it, it's real easy. I mean, I, people like to paint things in every sport. I mean, you know, you, you look at, at – football right now. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, he's going to go to a ton of other Super Bowls, right? Well, maybe not because Dan Marino at one time, they said he was going to go to a ton of other Super Bowls and he never made it back or never ended up winning one. So I think a lot of that, and I, I'd like to hear your take on it because I, I, one of the things I love about you is your family and how much support, but I think a lot of that moment in life when you're in your early, it doesn't, it's not even an age thing. When you're starting that first, you're jumping out and saying, man, I'm going to see if I can do this. I think so much of the success, whether you stick with it, has to do with the people that are around you because, you know, you're with the wrong people around you and they're like, yeah, this is stupid. Don't do that. It's real easy to shut that down. But if you got the right people supporting you, and and I, I, I believe you do. I mean, you're, the, the, the support you have around you with your family is amazing. Was that a lot of the reason that you that you stuck with it, or is it just? I mean, you had success early, so I mean, they couldn't have really argued with you twenty fourth in the points, could they? No, absolutely. I I think my family believed in me when I I was not so sure if it would ever happen. You know, I mean, growing up, you know, you have times where is this? I would think, is this a pipe dream? Is this something that I really can do? Or you know, and my dad, I, I'll never forget when he bought me, he, you know, he bought me our first bass boat. And he told me, he said, if you ever get the chance, I'm going to make sure that you have, that you get your chance. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was very fortunate in that sense. He, he bought us our first bass boat and he said, son, I feel like I'm investing in your future because I told him, I was like, dad, this is a lot of money. I realize that. And my dad always had a good job, but it's not like he was, you know, uh, he didn't have unlimited finances. It was sure. a job. <laughs> right. It was a job. And uh, I realized that that boat was a lot of money. And I said, listen, don't ever put yourself in a position where you're going to hurt, you know, your, your financial situation at all. And he's like, I'm not. I know what I'm doing. I'm investing in your future and I don't want to hear anything else about it. Um, and sure enough, you know, my, my first year on the elites, he made sure that I had my chance, you know, and, and I'll always be grateful for that. Uh, my dad was a huge supporter. My mom is a huge supporter. My stepdad, Clay, is a huge supporter, um, you know, and my wife and kids now, you know, I, I just, I couldn't ask for more. I'm a very blessed man. There's no doubt. It's incredible the amount of support that, that you have around you. Do you. Does that ever become pressure for you? You know, that amount of people cheering for you to, and that amount of people backing you, do, does that ever, do you ever feel that as pressure or is it, is it just, 
I don't really feel it as pressure. No, I, I'll be honest. You know, I, I feel like they're there for me, whether it's a high or a low, whether we have a good one or a bad one. I will say this, though. When, when I won this trophy right here, finally, this year, I think I wanted it worse for them than I did for myself, uh, honestly, that, because they've been through so much with me, you know. And, and like you say, I've had a great career, but everybody wants to win and everybody wants to see you win. And I wanted it bad for myself, but – I wanted them, and, and I was glad that I, – I mean, we had a big cheering section at, at Counts, Tennessee that day when I won, and I wanted it just as bad for them as I did for myself. Is wanting it bad one of the worst things in this sport? Like, it, <laughs> it almost seems like – like, you see it every year in the elites, even with the anglers that get unqualified, you know, that, that, that literally just thing after thing goes wrong for them. And you hear from locals that grew up around them. They're a lot better anglers than this. And, and then there's last few events that they kind of give up. They're like, well, I'm just going to enjoy these last few. And it's amazing the amount of good finishes you see from those anglers. And that's just one example, but it seems like when anglers want it real bad and the more they try to make it happen, the tougher it is. I agree with that. I agree with that a hundred percent. A lot of times I've said this before. A lot of times when you try to make things happen, I think you stand directly in the path of letting things happen. If that makes any sense at all. I, it does. I, I, yeah. I, I really believe that. And I, you know, that's something that I, I tell myself a lot in my fishing because I've seen it so many times, dude, if you'll just keep your head down and just keep a good pace in a day's fishing, most times it'll come together. There, you're going to have tough days. Everybody does. But I can remember early on in my career, I would start out having one of those tough days and I would freak out and I'd try to start running around and doing this, and doing that, and doing crazy off the wall stuff. And you come in with two or three fish at the end of the day and you have one of those bomb tournaments. Now, I think that's the difference in uh, you know, a, a second in anger of the year and a 52nd in anger of the year, you learn to keep your head down, keep your nose to the grindstone and grind you out a decent bag. Even if, even if it's not going the way you envisioned it going the night before, you know what I mean? Yeah. But how, how do you do that in the way that like, I mean, I would just think most people, you know, like if you're not hitting a golf ball, well, you try to smoke it the next time. <laughs> In fishing, that doesn't work. Like, you know, there's no. So when things are going bad, like, is it literally just step C you go through? Like, what is the process that happens in your head? Like, all of a sudden you're in a tournament and you're like, this isn't what I planned. What happens in your head to fix that? That's a hard one to answer. I just. I kind of. I'll kind of check myself throughout the day, you know, like if, if I feel myself going too fast, I'll literally reach down there and turn my trolling motor down, turn it down on 30%, make myself slow down. Because what happens is you'll fish right over the top of them. You can be on the, the best stretch of bank or the best school of fish on the whole river or lake, wherever you're fishing. And I've done it. I know. You can fish right. You can fish right past them. You can fish right over the top of them. You have to, you just have to keep your head about you and just slow. I've seen it so many times. Um, and, and I've, I've told other guys, you know, that, that may be going through the same thing that I went through because I went through that phase of my career and I know how it is. And I still have to, to watch myself 
uh, to this day. But, you know, you just – you, you got to keep a good pace and, and not freak out. Yeah. It, it Hey, I've watched anglers go through it, and I've watched yep. the same anglers – in a season where they're going through that. And I've watched them on a season when they're walking away with angler of the year. And I'm like, how he, like, I mean, that same angler still casting the same still, but it's like, it's a totally different person. And it's almost like, as soon as you start to second guess yourself, and as soon as you start to let that pressure beat you down, you know what I mean? Each, each hour. So like, is it, is it, is it almost like a wellness check that you give yourself throughout the day? Like, okay, are we do like, if things aren't going well, you got to, calculate you know is it speed is it water or is it just just being aware of it in your head it's just yeah it's just being aware of it and i you know i I would be wrong if i didn't mention the fact too i I don't make any bones about it i'm a man of faith um you know and and i believe that god works in our lives and everything happens for a reason um and you know i I give a lot of it to him Uh, kim and i we pray every single morning together before i go out there on the water and that gives me a lot of peace too. You know, everybody gets their peace from, uh, from different places, but that's where mine comes from. And that's a big weight off my shoulders at the end of the day, dude, today, because I know at the end of the day, no matter what happens, God's in control of my life and, and I'm going to be fine. You know, so that's a, that's a big load off my mind as well. It, it um, so how, how, why does it not happen for some? You know what I mean? Because to play this, and I'm not skeptical at all. But 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 right. I know there's people watching this. We're like, well, okay. I prayed really freaking hard, <laughs> and I, I'm working at a different job. And I, why does some not get it? That that's a hard one to answer to. Yeah, I think uh, you know the the truth of the matter is, for one person to win, there's. 89 other guys on the elite series that have to lose, Yeah, you know, but I, I don't know exactly how to answer that question, but I can tell you this. I'll, I'll go back to, to my win at Pickwick. There's, I could write a book about the things that went right that week. I truly believe in my heart, 150% that I was meant to win that tournament. I, I completely believe it was my turn to win that tournament just things just everything fell exactly into place um and i just think I, I don't know man that's how i live my life you know i've just seen so many things come together in my life in my career um that i, I truly believe everything happens for a reason and it happens the way it's supposed to yeah when, when did you start thinking that was that after the tournament or during the tournament like when you started thinking man this tournament is meant to be for, was that before the tournament started, or is that as the tournament unfolded? It was as the tournament unfolded, and then, and then after it was very apparent because it was like I, I could think something. Like the, the final day, I had the tournament won by like eight o'clock in the morning, but yeah. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know that. I was thinking, man, I need a I need a five or six pounder to put the nail in the coffin. And sure enough, I roll up on that ledge and I caught that six pounder right there at the end of the day, and I knew then. I mean, I. I don't get excited very often, but I, I kind of lost it on that on that fish catch because I knew I I had it won as long as I made it back to the way and out. There was pretty much no way that anybody could catch me. Is it part of being a tournament angler where even when in your head it's creeping in your head that like I think I'm supposed to win this tournament, 
everything in you as an angler wants you to stomp that down and never even think that thought because if you think it, it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I won't lie. There's been other tournaments throughout my career that I thought, hey, we might have a chance at this one, you know, and for whatever reason, it, it just didn't work out. But uh, no, it, that was a special week for sure. I can't so, wait till it happens again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that the immediate feeling after winning one? It almost feels like I don't know if I've ever seen somebody take one of those trophies and talk to them an hour later and they'd be like, I'm so satisfied now. I just, it seems like immediately you guys all go to like, okay, now I need more of that. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> because I, I just think as an elite series angler, man, we don't, we just don't get to feel victory that often. I mean, I don't care who you are. You know, some guys have more trophies than others, but that as a competitor, that feeling of victory, that's what you strive for. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, and it's so rare in your sport. That's the messed up thing about mm -hmm. fishing. I mean, that's that's half the reason that I run around yelling and screaming as much as I do because I want crowds to cheer for you guys. Because it's in other sports. I mean, when you sink the putt, there's a gallery around you. They in this sport and lives made it even less. There's less of a gallery on the water it seems nowadays than there used to be because of live people can watch it, but. I want you guys to have that winning moment with the crowd and, and with everything around you. You said that you could write a book and all the things that stood out that week that proved to you in your head that you were meant to. What are some of those things? Just fish that are, first of all, finding, um, finding that little school of fish that, that I did most of my damage off of. That was like, it, it's a miracle anymore to find a spot on the Tennessee river that it, I truly believe that that's little school of fish. I don't think they had been fished for. If they had, they had not been fished for much. Literally when I pulled up there, um, I found it the last day of practice. I told myself, I'm going to start scanning some of that shallower stuff and just see if I can find a little shallow school that maybe is left over from the shad spawn or something like that. And sure enough, I found that spot. It was five feet on top and it dropped off into eight. First morning, I started the tournament there. Um, and I, I caught a two pounder and there was literally a six pounder running behind that two pounder, like almost trying to eat him. Wow. And there were probably, there were probably five or six more that were, you know, they just went into a frenzy when I caught that first two pounder. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, and, and it was not a spot where there was a thousand of them there. There might've been 75 or a hundred, but it was a small spot, you know? Um, and, and that pretty much told me that that spot was special, you know, and, and those shallow fish, they get conditioned pretty quick. And by the end of the week, I had to slow down and throw a worm and stuff like that. You know, everybody saw how it went down, but, you know, finding that school was, uh, was kind of the first thing. And every day, man, things just went exactly right. They, they really did. I mean, I, I'd start off in the morning, catch 17, 18 pounds within the first hour, most mornings, hour and a half. And then that, that gave me, you know, the opportunity to run around and check some stuff. And I've got some history on Pickwick. I go over there and fun fish three or four times a summer. And I have been since 2015 or so. Um, so I've got some history over there and I knew some of those historical spots and, and what saved me in that tournament was not having to 
get in those community places and, and split my fish up with everybody else. Um, yeah, it just, gosh, it, it, it was, it was cool how it worked out. You know, the, the bait rotation, the everything, it just, it just went exactly right. This whole year went exactly right. And you did something beginning of the year and I've heard other people say it. I mean, I'm going to take this open victory now that I know I'm in the classic and I'm going to attack the elite series going to allow me to fish freer. It's going to allow me to do all sorts of things. Well, clearly it worked for you because you finished second angler of the year. You won another elite, another title this year, an elite series title, obviously, but it all started with that open. Is that something that just people say on stage or did it really in retrospect, looking back, did you really fish different this season because you knew you were in the classic? As far as like strategy, practice strategy, uh, tournament strategy, I didn't fish a bit different. It, it was all mental. It helped me mentally. It, it really did. Um, especially at the beginning of the year, you know, toward the end of the year, I was kind of worried about the AOI yeah. and, and all that, that kind of thing. But at the beginning of the year, you know, you just, you just I kind of had this, I don't want to say carefree because I still wanted to catch them. You still want to cast checks. But if I didn't, I knew it would be okay. You know, I'm, I'm still going to make the classic because we judge our season, at least I do, and I think most guys do, yeah. of making that Bassmaster Classic. Like it or not, that's that's the biggest stage in bass fishing. That's the biggest title in bass fishing in my eyes, I think, as far as a career-making title. You can't win it if you're not there. So I put a lot of emphasis on that every year and, and having that knocked out right from the get go was a big deal this year. There's no doubt. I think that's a piece of the pressure that nobody in the outside gets to see. Like I, I think people way underestimate how much elite series anglers are point chasing and how many days through the season they're point. Ch- you know, you know what I mean? Like it's that freedom to just go, I mean, for example, the last day you competed, you were in the top 10. You just need to catch the biggest bag you could possible. There was no game planning of like, if I don't catch them by this time, I'll go here and do like, there's very few days like that. Like, and I, I'd be honest, I am seed for a while and didn't even really pay attention to it. And then it was the classic that made it stand out. You just see that the pros walk around with a different swagger during the classic. And it's not because they're in the classic. It's because I have a tournament ahead of me. And I'm going to do everything I can to try and win on day one. But if I don't win, I'm not like, it's not affecting me the rest of the year. Am I reading that right? Do you feel that throughout the entire season? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely right. It, it, it and it, I guess that's the deal about pro fishing. I mean, pressure just never lays off. Even if you're in the classic, I mean, you'll get no pressure for a little while and then you'll find yourself in the angler of the year race and the pressure's right back there. Yeah, and it it really stinks to miss a classic. Like you said, I've been doing this. This was my ninth year on the elites, yeah. and, and I've made it every year but one, and that was the one at Conroe that Jordan Lee won. And yeah. I can still remember sitting in the stands and, and watching it happen. I'm a fan of the sport, but gosh, I want I don't ever want to be a spectator again. I, I want to be in it every single year. I mean, it. I love my sponsors, but I – I don't care nothing about working the classic. I want to be fishing. <laughs> I, I I can agree. I mean, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to sit and watch and, and watch Jordan win, you know, another young guy, another guy like, you yeah. know, speaking of that, 
You and Ott have always been tight your entire life, I believe. Watching him win, what 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 did that do to you as an angler? Did that did that like I I just feel like when your buddy wins, like your right. buddies with a lot of people who have won the classic, but when your buddy, like somebody you grew up with that you knew before he was chasing this dream, what how does that affect you? It definitely did affect me a little bit. I, I just I see what it did for his career he was already great and he had already won tournaments yeah but i just feel like man it, it takes you to a whole new level and it's something that nobody can ever take away i mean at the very top of your resume bassmaster classic champion that changes the game for for the rest of your career i mean for the rest of your life it absolutely does so yeah i mean that that definitely lit a fire under me for sure. And I was super happy for him. You know, they're, uh, Ott's a great friend of mine and my wife and his wife are great friends. Our, our kids are friends. Um, they call each other bass cousins. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, he's, he's an awesome guy, man. The, the world needs more odds. That's for sure. They, they sure do. I, I love Ott. Ott is one of yeah. my favorites. Um, it's funny because Jake Latondres, who was your camera guy, he he he, um, we did a podcast a few weeks ago, and he's like, "Do you know who Brandon Lester reminds me of?" And I'm like, "No." And he's like, "Aunt Devo," and I'm like, "You know, they're like <laughs> best friends. They've been friends their whole life." Um, but that's a great compliment to you. But I think what it is is you're both that very, I mean, mellow. I mean, I I've known you for pretty much a decade now. And I don't think you've changed at all physically, mentally, like, like, I'm, like you're the same and not the same. You know what I mean? Like right. very even killed. Is that the part of the world you're from or is that just a coincidence? Uh, I think it does have a, a lot to do with the part of the world we're from. You know, it's more of an East Tennessee guy. I'm more of a middle Tennessee guy. Um, but you know, Tennessee is kind of Tennessee and that, there's, there's a lot of that in our part of the world. Just, I guess happy go lucky, good old country people that just try to love everybody and carry on about our business, you know. What is your dream to accomplish in this sport? I definitely uh I would love to win a classic. That would be that I guess that would probably be at the top of the list. It's hard to choose between classic and AOY. Uh but I, I, I think I would, if I had my choice, I'd probably choose the classic. But, um, man, I, I just, I just want to be able to, to do this and support my family and say I fish for a living for as long as I want to do it. If I can do that, when I look back at the end of my career, I will be satisfied uh, and I will consider myself one of the luckiest men in the world, no doubt. Uh, you know, been doing it nine years now, like I said, and I have no complaints. It's been a great ride. It's not, uh, it's not been easy. It, it has not come easy. There's been up years and, and down years and struggles and, and great times. And, you know, but, uh, it, for the most part, it's been great. And I, I hope I can look forward to a lot more years. What, what is the hardest part about being a pro angler? When you say it's not been easy, what, what are the tough parts? You know what, Dave, the, probably one of the hardest parts for me um, was just getting used to, 
I guess being in front of a camera all the time. I'm a quiet guy. I don't. I don't I'm. I know you know. I know everybody on the Elite Series knows, and I hope nobody ever takes that as as I don't like them because I love everybody on the Elite Series. I really do. Um, you know, but I, I had to get used to that. That's something that I had to get used to. I grew up really shy, really quiet. Um, you know, and and I I had to grow into that. I think honestly, the the best advice I've ever her given is advice that you give us at the classic every year, be yourself. Uh, and, and, you know, the first time I heard that I took it to heart and I finally understood nobody wants me to be anything but myself. So that that's what I do now, you know, and it, and it works out a whole lot better, whether the camera's rolling or whether it's in front of a big crowd of people or, or whatever, but that's probably been one of the hardest parts for me. Um, you know, but we're past it now and it's, it's all good. It's just part of the job, man. How did you did you have to work on that? Like when you said what because dude, I'm a weirdo. The, I mean <laughs> the, the, I won every speech contest growing up. Like like I, I've never had a hard time talking to crowds at all. So for me to but but I do know it is like the number one fear in the world, like more than right. like falling out of a plane, which is stupid. <laughs> because falling out of a plane never ends well. Um did, did you, did, was it something you like had to do steps to work on? Like, did you, or was it just like, I just need to put myself in front of the camera as often as possible and just get used that this is going to be part of my life? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, I knew once I started understanding, you know, what a professional angler was, I knew it was something I was going to have to face and I was going to have to get better at. Uh, and at the end of the day, when I'm, if I had to get up and give a speech about, dancing or something i'd be a nervous wreck because i don't know anything about that but i can talk about fishing yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i mean so at the end of the day i just i just treat it just like an everyday conversation about i talk about fishing every day of my life to somebody yeah. so that's how i learned you know it, it's just fishing we're just talking about fishing so just be yourself be real talk fishing everything will work itself out it's all good yeah. And I think it's natural when you start anything. And even if you're, if you're, if you're comfortable talking in front of a crowd, I think it is natural that you, you're not yourself initially. It takes a little while to be yourself right. because you're, you're, you're playing a part. Let's be honest. Like when, def and it doesn't matter what your job is. I mean, whether you're a professional angler or a police officer, the first time you pull someone over, you're playing a part. Like you're not right. really like you went to school for it. I get it. But really, you're just playing a part. And you're trying to give your employer what you think they want, your sponsors what you think they want. Do you think that's a feeling that a lot of pros get? Like when they first come, they're like, I need I need to I need to always smile. I need to always, you know, I need to give these companies what I think they want. When ultimately you look at the stars, they're all people who are just themselves. Did you feel that pressure like when you first start, which I think is natural. I did. I did. Yeah. I, th I think you, uh, you finally get to a point where you realize once you're around everybody and they're the same on camera as they are off camera, you finally realize, Hey, I, I just need to be me, man. And whoever wants to get on board with that, um, you know, they'll hop on you. You'll align yourself with, if, if you're always yourself, I feel like you'll, you'll end up aligning yourself with companies that believe in you. Um, you know, I think those relationships are going to work out a lot better. Um, it, it just, it works better all the way around if, if you just be yourself. Yeah. 
And it'd be exhausting. Like if, I mean, yeah. let's say you decided, you know, I was going to be this over the top, excitable guy right. on stage every time. And then you'd run into people at a gas station. You'd be like, oh, I got to be overexcitable and over the top. I think it would be exhausting. So just always be yourself because I think that's what the coolest thing about our sport, in my opinion, is people identify with, you know, like, doesn't matter what sport you're into. I mean, I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan, obsessed by football. But I don't look at Patrick Mahomes and be like, I'm a lot like him. <laughs> I, I wish. Right. I mean, I wish I could throw. But I think that there's a lot of people in our sport that are impressed by things that you guys accomplish. But they they cheer for you because they're a lot like you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. They're, you know, that they're, they're, they have the same values, the same upbringing. They identify with you. So I think in our sport of all sports, it just makes more sense to, to be yourself. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've made in, in this business since you started? Hmm. Biggest mistake I've made. Man, that's a tough one. Uh, as far as the business side or the fishing side? Wherever. Business, fishing, <laughs> wherever you want to go. Uh, I would I, go back to what I was talking about as far as keeping your head down when things are not going as, as well as you hoped out on the water. Um, if you'll keep your nose to the grindstone most of the time, if, if you'll keep a good pace and, and things will work themselves out. I went through a phase, uh, it was the second or third, maybe fourth year of my career where I'd have a really good first day. Then I'd get out there the second day and things had changed a little bit. Maybe conditions changed. Maybe the fish moved a hundred yards or so. And, you know, you get out there and it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. You're, it's not going like you hoped. And I, you know, I would just start doing crazy things and, and I'd come in and the second day I would bomb. And I finally learned, that's when I finally started learning, just keep your head down. And, and the only way to get through that stuff is just fish your way through it. Uh, you know, and I, and I, for me, I fish a lot when I'm at home. You know, like I said earlier, I'm very fortunate. I live, I live within two hours of most of the Tennessee River lakes. Uh, and I have some other options around here, deep clear lakes and stuff as well. So I can really work on different techniques and stuff like that. So um, but to answer your question, I guess biggest mistake I made had to do with uh, had to do with fishing. You know the the way I've ran, you know, sponsors and and the business side of things. You, people don't realize uh, a professional angler. You have to wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> you uh, you have to be a good fisherman, but you also have to be you know decent in front of a camera, like we talked about. You got to run a business as far as sponsors and all that, and that's a very important part of it. Yeah, and every one of your sponsors ex expects something out of you and, and they should, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with, with, you know, the way I've, I've ran all that things, you know, uh, a lot of my sponsors have been with me pretty much from the get go. Phoenix boats has been there from the get go. Mustad been there from the get go. A lot, a lot of other ones I could go on down the list, but, um, you know, sometimes sponsorships work out. Sometimes they don't for, for whatever reason. Uh, fishing is a is a pretty volatile industry that way it can be yeah um but it's it's that that part of it's been good for the most part is it tougher to do your job today than it was when you started like i just look at literally in the span of your career 
which is not quite a decade at this point, just under it'd be a decade this next year. When you first started, dude, your only concern was probably I just got to catch him and and make sure I've got my tournament jersey on. Well, now, I mean, you look at I look at you guys and I look at the demand around all of you where it's I mean, you need to have a social media presence, but not just on one. you got to be on all of them and you've got to be in getting it. Then, okay, I'm putting up videos. I'm doing some videos. Well, now you're going to engage with the these people that are watching your videos and and all of it, none of it is negative. None of it is negative. Nobody doesn't want to engage. But when I look at it, I'm like, man, today's pro angler, like getting into this job today versus getting into it when you did. And it wasn't that long ago. It seems like it's even tougher today just because of the amount of things that you have to deliver. Absolutely. And getting tougher every year, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, it is hard. You know, Facebook. Instagram, YouTube, that's something that I, I took upon myself last year during the off season was starting a YouTube channel. And I'm mm-hmm. very small time. I've got 5,000 subscribers, but I built it completely myself. I literally bought a Apple Mac computer and I took a Sunday and I said, I'm going to learn how to make a YouTube video. And I mean, I had fun with it, you know, this, and I, I treated it like everything else. I'm just myself. I did a lot. Of, I do a lot of crappie fishing in the fall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and, and that's basically how I built my channel because I, I started realizing that I could put up a crappie video and it would do three times better than a bass fishing video. And I think it's because uh, there's a lot more bass videos out there than there is crappie videos. Um, but you know, you do, you, you, you got a lot of things that you have to do and it's a lot busier these days. Um, you know, where I feel like 10 years ago, there were a lot more, uh, places you needed to be working boat shows, things like that. And now, you know, it's more, it seems to be more content driven. Give us videos, give us pictures. We, you know, and that's just the age we live in, man. It just is. I think it's going to get, it's going to keep going that direction too. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. I mean, the amount of, I mean, people look at the Elite Series pros as the way to make a living in fishing, and that is one way to make it. But if you look at a dock and the the amount of the industry that surrounds you guys in content creation, whether it be family members creating the content, whether it be hired staff following, like the amount of people that come to an Elite Series event just to capture content and i'm not even talking about a bassmaster camera not one of them um right. never mind all that it, it is truly amazing but it's like a monster it's like it, no matter how much you feed it it's never satisfied you know what i mean like if you put up a hit video a crappy video that does really good you're like they're like okay well you're gonna put another one up today like <laughs> it, it's it's a non-stop how do you balance that through the season i would imagine as a pro angler that becomes a bit of a chore like I mean, I'm trying to focus on winning angler of the year. I'll get to crappie videos <laughs> when yeah. that time comes. How do you carp compartmentalize? Carp- I'm trying to say a word that makes me sound <laughs> smart, but it, when you're not smart, it makes you sound stupid. So the word I'm trying to say, how do you do that? Yeah. You just have to prioritize, you know, in your life. Um, like I said, during the off season, I, I will, here real soon, probably within the next week or two, I'll start posting at least one video a week, maybe two. Um, during the during the actual season, I only posted one to two videos a month, just because it's just so hard. You know, yeah. I mean, I 
you just don't have the time. And I, I really don't, not that I, I don't like what some of the guys do because it, it's awesome, but I don't really want to hire a, a camera crew to follow me around, you know, at the tournaments and stuff. That's just, uh, I, some guys do a great job with it. That's another, that's a whole nother level, man. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, to, to have to the logistics of that. I, I just, I don't want all of that on my plate, to be honest. Um, so that, that's how I do it. You know, I do, I do it all myself as of right now, uh, as far as the YouTube and, and Instagram and Facebook and all that. Um, and you know, during the off season, I'll, I'll ramp it up a little bit during the season. I'll, I'll back off a little just to put, I put a lot of, a lot of emphasis on fishing. I, I fish a lot. I do. It, it's sad. It's a weird thing about the sport, but it's like you, you dream and you're a little kid. I want to fish for a living. Then you, you somehow some way end up fishing for a living like you do. And then it's like, now I got to work really hard. So people allow me to continue to fish for right. a living to actually <laughs> fish. Because I mean, I mean, and, and that is in some ways, the one thing that COVID kind of like, a, there's a lot less trade shows and stuff like that. And, but it's, but it's not like there's less pressure on you guys to continue to put out content. And I think your approach with it is the right one. Like, I think it's, there's no right answer because for a guy like Paul Nick, when he first started doing it, like when he first said, I'm going to document, I'm like, dude, I don't know if you want to do that. That's a lot of, but he's the opposite. Like that camera and pointing at him keeps him on point. You know what I mean? It keeps him, but not everyone's like that. And, and I could see where like, you know, you've, you've got a life that you, I mean, you want to live your life. You don't want to always be just pumping out content, but for certain people that works for them and certain people, it doesn't. And I think the smart part is to figure out which you are. And, um, and I do know one thing, YouTube is the most accepting of stuff when you do it yourself. You, you know what I mean? Like legitimately, like mm -hmm. people know your videos are done yourself. They know you answer them. You know, you, you, the, you know, it might not happen right away, but they know you're actually doing it yourself. And um, it, it's just crazy to me, the amount of stuff that you guys have to have to push out throughout the year. But um, but I mean, the truth is there is so many people trying to do what you're doing for a living right now. Um, college fishing, you were a rip you were part of it, but I don't think like, like you it, almost the college fishing that you did compared to today's college fishing. Do they even compare? Not hardly. <laughs> I, <laughs> it was kind of just getting started. Yeah. Uh, high school fishing wasn't even a thing and college fishing was really just getting ramped up when I, uh, when I was fishing at UTC, but that was a lot of fun. And, and honestly, that's kind of where I realized uh, kind of the basis for, a bass fishing career. You know, I made some contacts there. Like, uh, I made one of, one of the contacts that I've carried my whole elite series career during my college career, vicious fishing line. I've used their line every year of my career. Um, you know, and I, I met those guys while in my college days. So, you know, colleges and, and today, man, it's, it's a great stepping stone. You look at guys like Cody Huff, everybody knew his name before he ever showed up on the elite series. I mean, yeah. the guy is just, he's, he's a phenomenal angler. Um, he really is. So that, that program, there's a lot to be said for it. it it's amazing. And, and to me, it stands out as like, and the greatest thing that happens is the part that nobody's really even 
when you think about it, like in any business, doesn't matter whether you want to sell sandwiches or you want to be a pro angler, when you want to open your sandwich store, the first few years, you're going to work so hard. You're going to put like first number of years, but you should, because you that's when you're full of energy and you're ready. And like when you get into a new career, but when you get into the elite series, if that's where you start, there's very little sharing. There's very little people that are going to take you under their wing. You know, it's a competitive individual sport. But that's what I think college fishing wins, because if you take it like powerhouse schools like Bethel or Auburn and stuff like that, those teams, they work with each other like that, you know, like they've anglers from all different parts of the country. And, you know, you learn so much just by, okay, I'm spending the day fishing. My team partner's from the north. I'm from Florida. He's an expert at drop shotting and offshore electronics and all sorts of stuff. You're an expert at flipping it, but they actually like it's at the time of their career when they're working together and they're willing to give that information. Or if you take the same group of individuals, put them on the elite series, they're not giving that information, but in, in on a collegiate setting, they are. So it's amazing the way they learn. Um, do you work with anyone on the elite series? I don't know. Um, this year, I stayed with John Cox a few times. John's a good friend of mine. We've, we've known each other for several years. And when we're staying together, we'll talk a little bit. But as far as working together, I, w- I wouldn't say that's exactly what we're doing. You know, I, I, I don't. I mean, I can pretty much honestly say my entire career, I've, I've pretty much done it on my own. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I know the whole working together, it works for a lot of guys. There's a lot of teams on the elite series nowadays, but man, I, I don't know. I, I, I like doing my own thing. I just do. I, I'm real careful about, and like I said, I love all those guys, but <laughs> when you tell as a competitor, here's how I, here's how I view it. So if I tell one guy and he's part of a team, yeah. Well, then whoever's on his team now knows what I told him. And they're all going to take these little nuggets and try to put them together. Let's just say I'm running points in 15 to 20 feet of water. I'm looking for isolated rock piles. Well, listen, there's only so many points <laughs> on every lake with isolated rock piles in 15 to 20 feet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like I, I just, I'm real careful, man. When I get on to something, I, I kind of like to keep it to myself. That's why. And the fact that I, I I don't mind being by myself either. For the most part, I travel by myself. Either me, you know, the girls will come with me to about half the tournaments a year. Um, but, you know, it's nothing against anybody. But for the most part, I roll alone. Yeah, and it, you're right. It's becoming a rarity. You, you know, like, it, it I mean, it's a question I quite often ask on this show. And the amount of people that, you know, they work with other anglers, it's – and I – I get it, but like, you're totally right. Where if you say anything, like I've shown up at tournaments and I do my little, you know, send texts to guys and stuff like that during pre-fish and ask some questions here and there. And, and I'll be told things about other anglers that I think is just like, everyone knows, you know what I mean? Like you're like, so-and-so is catching them on a white popper. I mean, you're just right. like, Oh, okay. I hear they're catching. And, and it works back to and that one, that, at the end of the day, that dude told one person, but somehow mm-hmm. it gets into one of those groups. And then it, it's, 
how is it how are you available to avoid doc talk because i think it's pretty much recognized that's one of the worst things you can do you know fish your own way do your own thing when you come to the elite series but man it's so hard for young anglers to avoid doc talk what's your take on that like how are you able to show up with the group of anglers that was fishing the elite series when you started as a rookie and be like yeah i'm not worried about greg hackney's doing and kevin van dam i'm doing my own thing my best advice would be avoid dog talk like it was the plague. Do not listen to it. Do not talk to it. I can go in all the way back to my club fishing days. I, I can't tell you how many guys I heard. Man, I was up here yesterday. I had 18 pounds. I had 19 pounds yesterday. And then they show up the next day. They got three bass in their bag. I'm like, what happened? You know, what happened? Well, for one thing, you gave them all a sore lip yesterday, yeah. <laughs> which was dumb. But Fishing is so situational, man, and it, it's such a hour-by-hour, day-by-day thing. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Fish your strengths always. Find what your strengths are um, and, and do things your way. You'll be, a, you'll be a better angler for it. I truly believe that. The, I, the, days, of, the days of the one-trick pony, and this is not a knock on anybody, but the days of a one-trick pony are over. And professional bass fishing and I, that's just the honest truth of it dude there there are guys listen growing up i idolized denny brower just for his style with the flipping stick and, yeah. I, and I, i've i've met the guy through mustad and he's a great guy i love the guy but i don't know that nowadays he could do that you know what i mean like he his accolades are he did great. He, he was a phenomenal angler, and he, he's still a great fisherman, don't get me wrong, and he can do other things besides just flip down the bank. But nowadays, you're not just going to be a flipper, and you may win some tournaments here and there, but you better know how to do other things. Why do you think that changed? It's electronics, mostly. It's electronics-driven. Um, you know, forward-facing sonar, it, whether you're forward or against it, you, if you're a professional angler on the Elite Series, you better dang well know how to use it. It played a huge role in in a lot of my tournaments this year. Now, I will say there's a time for you to turn it off, too. Um, the first two first two tournaments of the year in Florida, St. John's River and uh, Harris Chain, I top 10 at the Harris Chain, St. John's River, I made a check, 20s, 30s, something like that, two good tournaments. And I think uh, I had it turned off 90% of the time just because I was fishing shallow cover that I could see it was all visual oriented. The rest of the year, I had it on all the time. And it was a huge factor. And, and uh, I think people underestimate how huge oh, some people overestimate it in some ways, because some people think you put it on your boat and they just jump in your boat and you catch them right away. And it's not fair. That's not true. <laughs> it's also no, not true no, it's not. that it has to do a lot to change the entire face of the sport. When you're looking at an angler of the year finish and like how we started this 16 points between you and Polnick. I mean, if you catch one fish, a tournament on it, one fish, a tournament that you weigh in, it changes the entire, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it changes it. And if you can't not have it, I mean, we're going to go to fisheries, do you think it's something that they'll ever 
put any rules around or like, what do you say to people that say, oh, yeah, no, this this should be outlawed in the sport of pro fishing? So here's my take on it. Maybe right. It may be wrong. But so when the when the Alabama rig first started, it was five baits, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty soon it was 18 or 20 baits. Yeah. I honestly believe, and, and listen, I was sponsored by Lawrence, <laughs> and they let, they may fire me for saying this, but I honestly believe that there needs to be a limit on where we're going with electronics. If if forward facing sonar is it, then okay, let's let's let that be it. But I just see us going before too many too many years. I think it's going to be like there's a, a speaker on that sucker. And it's going to say there is a 4.2 pound largemouth bass 60 feet to the right of your boat. <laughs> Seriously, I see it going that way, and I I worry like I'm I'm not one of these guys that's like oh my god we need to ban it right now blah blah blah. But I worry that our fish they don't get a break anymore. We know where they are 365 days a year now. They're uh, I mean. Dude, I can tell the difference. At Oahe, there was a ton of carp in that lake. I can tell the difference between a carp, a pike, a bass. I, you can tell. When, when you look at it enough, you can tell. I do feel like there needs to be some kind of a limit on it. But, man, it is amazing technology, and it changes the way you fish. Now, um, like I said, I, I spent a lot of time last winter learning my active target. That's one of the things that I think helped me this year. Um, but I just, I feel like there needs to be a limit on it. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what happens with it in the future. Cause it's really tough to limit too. Then, you know what I mean? Like you, you, I know. There, you know, and, but I also think that there's part of me that wonders if the fish will just, I mean, look at how quick Oahe changed. Like if you look at how that tournament fished and me and Davey talked about it on live and, Lakes that don't get any pressure feel pressure more. And I've always felt that just because of shooting the show, I get to go to a lot of places that don't get pressure. I love stupid fish. They're my favorite ones. Um, <laughs> so, but when you go to one of those places where not a lot of people get to fish, you realize that the pressure, they're affected by pressure so much quicker. And and that's why I think if you watch the Wahi, how that fishery changed and guys end up catching them on Carolina rigs that they could cast miles from a boat and all sorts of things because of that pressure. So do you not think like if those fish reacted like that in just four days plus three days of pre-fish, won't all the Tennessee River fish and all those fish, won't they just start to change around, do you think, or, or no? I'll be honest, I have a hard time believing that those fish can hear that thing pinging out there 60, 80 feet away. Um, I have noticed on mine, and I've used it a lot in the past two years, I have noticed on mine, once you get within 40 feet of a fish, a lot of times he'll know you're there. But out there past 40, especially 40 to 80, a lot of times you can do something with him. Once he gets past 60, a lot of times his butt's caught. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? So I have a heart, and and I feel like it keeps getting better and better. You know, I mean, I can see fish out there swimming around on my active target at 100 feet. 
Well, if it gets to a point where we can see them out there swimming around at 150, 200 feet, there ain't no way them fish, they don't know we're there, man. You know, I mean, it just, it changes the game so much. And and like I say, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh my God, I'm against it. I just, I worry about our fisheries and even looking at it from a, a crappie fishing standpoint, dude, I mean, it's like not even fair. No. <laughs> I mean, it has completely change the game when it comes to crappie fishing if you don't believe me pull up some youtube videos and watch i mean it's it's just it's unbelievable yeah i mean i've seen crappie dudes with them on a pole like they have multiple ones in a boat and they like just hold the pole like that they um everybody in bass fishing world wants to think like the bass fishing world is everything feeds down no i mean the crappie world embraced forward facing sonar before the bass fishing world like what happened on Lake Fork with Patrick, the same time it was happening on Patrick with Patrick, it was already happening on Lake Fork by, with all the crappie guides. I mean, you'd pass some of those bridges and you'd see the amount of people. So it, it definitely, it's different, man. I don't know. I don't know what the future of it is. I'm sure thankful that I stand on the side of the stage I do and not the same side that Lisa does because for Chris and Lisa and everybody who's got to make decisions on that and Hank it, that's a tough one, man. It really is it tough is. because because it's it's actually a lot, you know, like I get it. I I had a side imaging unit, one of the first side imaging units that came out, and it was like cheating at that time to have it, but it still we were we were imaging like structure. We were seeing things and being able to cast a rock piles that nobody else knew were there, could exactly pinpoint them. We weren't seeing fish, like it wasn't live, it wasn't, right. you know. The, the whole chasing the fish thing seems weird to me. Like now covering events, you see just guys in the middle of the lake and they're just following a fish. And like you said, those fish were always there. They always suspended out there, but they went out there to just be left alone. You know what I mean? To right. do what, what they need to do. So uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. What, uh, tell me about, uh, Brandon Lester away from tournaments. What, what you have a weekend off. What's your favorite thing to do on a weekend? I'm probably going fishing with a buddy. If it's turkey season, I'll be turkey hunting. Um, I, if there's one other thing in life that I'm as passionate about than than fishing, it's definitely turkey hunting. I don't I don't miss a day in the spring when we when I've got time. The 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 bad part about that is that's right in the middle of our busiest time of the year. So I don't. But you know, on on a good note, when I am home, I do have some freedom. You know, and I, I get I can go during the week and stuff. So. Uh, maybe turkey hunt. I do deer hunt a little bit during the fall, but you know, like I said, the past couple of years, I've been doing a lot of crappie fishing and, and stuff like that. I just, you know, I'm an outdoorsman. I, I spend a lot of time around the house. You know, my, like I said, I've got a wife, I've got two little girls, 11 year old and a four year old. We just bought a camper. Uh, we bought a 27 and a half foot bumper hitch camper. So we've been doing the camping thing on the weekends and they're having fun with that. And I'm having a blast because I take my boat and leave it at the campground and I'll wake up at daylight every morning and fish till about nine o'clock, come back and cook breakfast. So we're having fun with that. Making Nothing memories. Extravagant. Yeah, man. I, I live a simple lifestyle. I'm just a simple dude. I just, I just love to bass fish, any kind of fishing really. What kind of music are you into? Like what, who's your favorite band of all time or favorite song? Oh, that one would be hard to pinpoint. Uh, 
I like a lot of country music, a lot of different artists. I like a lot of older country music. Garth Brooks, a big Garth fan. Uh, you know, Southern Rock, Leonard Skinner, um, you know, just, just stuff like that. Favorite movie? Tombstone, no doubt. You are such a redneck, dude. Listen to this. I, I mean, am. Ain't no doubt. I like ain't, both ain't, kinds of music. No <laughs> I like both <laughs> kinds of music, country I mean, and I western. Can I can, yeah, I can appreciate a lot of different kinds of music. I've got a buddy that, that plays in a bluegrass band, a really good friend of mine. Um, I can appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of gospel music. Uh, blues. I, I, I like blue Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's a bad son of a gun. I oh, wish yeah. I could get a guitar like Stevie Ray. But um, I, I can appreciate a lot of different kinds. But as far as what I listen to in my truck, it's usually country or some form of rock. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Here's a deep one. What does, <laughs> if, if 10 year old Brandon Lester could look in a ball and see the life you're living, what does he have to say? Huh. Good job. I I mean I, I I don't toot my own horn very well. I don't even like to talk about myself, but I've I'm pretty proud of what I've done. I, I don't have any problem saying that. You know, I mean I sure there's things I'd love to accomplish. I'm not satisfied with my career by any means, but um I'm I'm real happy in my life right now. You know, I'm thirty four. I feel like I'm kind of in the heyday of my career i feel like there's a lot of like i said there's a lot of things i i still want to accomplish dave but things are going good i'm i'm happy for sure what uh what's the best part about fishing just actually fishing like what why fishing for you i mean and i think that everybody that comes on this show has that same but the, we've all got different reasons but what why is fishing the greatest in your opinion you know what what makes fishing so great is the fact that whether you're the guy that has a, a weekend day off from your nine to five and you want to go sit on the edge of the creek bank and drown some worms or minnows or whatever or you're a guy that wants to go on the bassmaster elite series and everywhere in between there's something there for that person Kids, 90, I mean, my grandfather lived to be 88 years old, and he fished up until two or three weeks before the day he died. I mean, there's something there for everybody. That's why our sport is so great, and I wish it was bigger than what it is, man. I, I truly believe that if more people fished in this world, that it would be a better place. I truly believe that. It's, it's such a great sport. It is. Uh, amen. There are no better words to finish off this podcast than what Brandon Lester just said. Amen. And uh, what stands out to me about Brandon Lester, first of all, thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. Most of all, thank you for being you and being confident enough to be who you are. And, um, man, what stood out to me was one line. He said, I'm a happy man. And that truly explains what Brandon Lester is, the Brandon Lester that I see, whether it's as a competitor, whether it's as a family man, whether, you know, it, dealing with sponsors, I, I look across and see him, whether I'm part of the conversation or not, and I'm like, there is a happy man. And um, 
somebody just chasing their dreams and 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 living every moment of their life. Um, and that's all you really want is happiness. And and he's definitely achieved that. And trust me, when it comes to accolades, he's got lots more coming. He's going to be battling it out for Angler of the Year, for Elite Series titles, and for Classic titles for years and years to come. But bottom line, it just seems the happier he is in life, the more lethal he is on the Bassmaster Elite Series. So thank you, Brandon Lester. Thank you guys all for listening to this. And as always, I hope we put a little hump back in your hump day. But if we haven't already, this will. Bob Cop, take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?